All right, so this next one, or I guess first one, is about something that I personally thought was interesting. Interesting, I feel like it lines up or overlaps with a lot of articles, political articles I used to read to you. So, Denver's program to dispatch mental health teams instead of police is so successful it is expanding fivefold. After dispatching mental health teams instead of police officers to certain 911 emergency calls, the city of Denver is proclaiming their pilot program a huge success and expanding it significantly. Since June 2020, the support team assisted response, STAR, has deployed medical and behavioral health clinicians to respond to over 2,200 low-risk calls reporting trespassing, intoxication, or mental health crises involving poverty, homelessness, or addiction. In all that time, STAR teams have never called for police backup due to a safety issue, according to their January report. In January, the City Council unanimously allocated a $1.4 million contract for the STAR program's expansion, paying for five additional white vans and hiring seven clinicians, four paramedics, and two emergency medical technicians. The Denver Post reports that STAR teams have driven hundreds of miles, assisted suicidal people, and schizophrenics. They've also handled out handed out water and socks and connected people to shelter, food, and resources. STAR's advisory team, consisting of 15 15 volunteer citizens, hope that with six fans, they can respond to more than 10,000 calls a year. Funding for the expansion was bolstered by a $1.4 million grant from the Caring for Denver Foundation. This innovative approach, meeting people where they are, with the right services, at the right time, is a game-changer for Denver said Bob McDonald, DDPHE Executive Director and Public Health Administrator for the City of Denver. Importantly, it is also saving money for the city. If the star vans can help someone in crisis, that frees up police to handle a robbery or domestic violence call. Star is minimizing unnecessary arrest and unnecessary cost, whether that be jail costs or emergency room costs, Councilman Robin Kanish said. Denver residents can specifically request STAR assistance by calling 720-913-STAR-7827 or by calling the non-emergency number 720-913-2000. When STAR pulls up, people in crisis can be assured that two non-judgmental, client-centered, supportive people who are willing to listen are getting out of the van to help, said Chris, Chris Richardson, LCSW, the Mental Health Center of Denver's Associate Director of Criminal Justice. Explaining to other, expanding to other cities. Other cities in Colorado, including Pueblo, Colorado Springs, and Fort Collins, have called Denver with intentions to start similar emergency services to dispatch unarmed health professionals. Nearby, Aurora was among the first to replicate the model, launching their Aurora Mobile Response Team in September. Data collected from 759 of the residents served so far shows that nearly three-quarters had been medically diagnosed with bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, anxiety, or major depression. It's the future of law enforcement, Denver Police Chief Paul Pazin said in a 2020 interview with the Denver Post. We want to meet people where they are and address those needs and address those needs outside of the criminal justice system. And that is it for this one. So many environmental articles that I read So this one is about California officials approving a plan to crack down on microplastics that are polluting the ocean. California has been preparing to address the pervasive scourge of microplastics in the ocean since 2018. Now a state panel has adopted a blueprint. The California Ocean Protection Council approved what it calls 
the first comprehensive microplastic strategy in the nation. The statewide microplastic strategy identifies early actions and research priorities that will reduce the pollution. Over time, plastics break down in aquatic environments into pieces of ever-decreasing size, with those less than 5 millimeters in size known as microplastics, which can harm ocean life because it is easily ingested. The council says that tire and roadwear synthetic textiles and single-use plastic foodware are among the top sources. Precautionary management of microplastics, microplastic pollution, and upstream source reduction are the most effective response to this crisis. We must take down, we must take action, and this strategy shows us how. This said California Natural Resources Secretary Wade Crowfoot. Crowfoot. By reducing pollution at its source, we safeguard the health of our rivers, wetlands, and oceans, and protect all the people and nature that depends on these waters. The 37-page strategy provides a multi-year roadmap for California to take a national and global leadership role in managing microplastics pollution by utilizing a two-track approach to manage microplastic pollution. The first track lists 22 immediate no-regrets actions and multi-benefit solutions to reduce and manage microplastic pollution, including pathway interventions within specific routes like stormwater runoff and wastewater treatment. To prevent the pollution at its source, their plan is to either eliminate specific products and materials through financial incentives or encourage product innovation or alternatives. Other options are identifying alternative sourcing and design, improving water, improving waste reduction, or institute, where necessary, product and material prohibitions. Some solutions like stormwater infiltration projects are better compliance with nurdle discharge prohibitions can reduce microplastics immediately, said the council's executive director, Mark Gold. But Gold also called for better leadership from the textile industry and tire manufacturers to produce consumer products that don't add to the growing problem. The California legislator recognized the need for a comprehensive plan to address this environmental challenge in 2018. With the adoption of Senate Bill 1263, requiring the California Ocean Protection Council, OPC, to adopt a statewide research strategy and identify early actions to reduce microplastic pollution in California's marine environment. The plan was then released for a one-month public comment period, which was closed on January 21st. That's it for this one. This next one is about a Canadian millionaire who donated his life savings to plant 100,000 daffodils, and they're just beginning to bloom. More than 100,000 daffodils planted in a town as part of a generous gift from a Canadian banker in his will are finally beginning to bloom. The Valley of Bulbs were planted after a dying wish by Keith Owen, who planned to retire in Sidmouth in Devon, southwest England. He was diagnosed with terminal cancer in 2007 and decided to leave his life savings of 2.3 million euros or 3 million American U.S. dollars to a local voluntary conservation society. He told, he contacted the Sid Valve Association, SVA, and told them he wished for his money to be used to support local projects, which made use of voluntary labor, and in particular to sustain the ambiance and way of life recognized in Sidmouth and its surroundings. Now the 153,000 bulbs planted across the town are beginning to bloom. Ed Harrison, of the Sidmouth Civic Society said, 
Every year, it brings back happy memories of this man who did this amazing thing for the town. Snowdrops, daffodils, and crocus bulbs were among the 153,000 flowers worth 166,000 euros, planted at over 50 sites. The daffodils were planted on Peak Hill in Sidmouth. Mr. Owen died on December 3, 2007 in Victoria Hospital in Sidmouth. The millionaire was born in 1938 in nearby Totnes and went to school at Montpellier Preparatory School in Panton. In 1976, after 20 years of RAF service with the British Armed Forces, he retired with the rank of squadron leader and set up home in Ottawa, Canada. That was it for this one. This new article is also sustainability related and it's about solar panels that pull in water vapor to grow crops in the desert. Using a unique, using a unique hydrogel, scientists in Saudi Arabia have successfully drawn power out of the dry air for growing spinach while producing electricity from the solar panels that power it all. The system offers a sustainable, low-cost strategy to improve food and water security for people living in dry climate regions. A fraction of the world's population still doesn't have access to clean water or, or green power, and many of them live in rural areas with arid or semi-arid climate, says Peng Wang, a professor of environmental science and engineering at the King Abdullah University of Science and Technology. Our design makes water out of air using clean energy that would have been wasted and is sustainable for decentralized, small-scale farms in remote places like deserts and oceanic islands. The system, called WEC2P, is composed of a solar photovoltaic panel placed atop a layer of hydrogel, which is mounted on top of a large metal box to condense and collect water. Wang and his team developed the hydrogel in their prior research, material that can effectively absorb water vapor from ambient air and release the water content when heated. The researchers used the waste heat from solar panels when generating electricity to drive absorbed water out of the hydrogel. The metal box collects the vapor and condenses then the gas into water. Additionally, the hydrogel increases the efficiency of solar vo voltaic panels by as much as 9% because it absorbs the heat and lowers the panel's temperature. The team conducted a plant growing test by using WEC2P in Saudi Arabia for two weeks in June, when the weather was very hot. They used the water solely collected from air to irrigate 60 water spinach seed planted, seeds planted in a plastic growth, plastic plant growing box. Over the course of the experiment, the solar panel, with a size similar to the top of a student desk, generated a total of 1,500 and 19 watt hours of electricity and 57 out of 60 of the water spinach seeds sprouted and grew normally to 18 centimeters in total about two liters of water were condensed from the hydrogel over the two-week period our goal is to create an integrated system of clean energy water and food production especially the water creation part in our design which sets us apart from current agro photovoltaics also known as agrivoltaics, says Wang. To turn the proof of concept design into an actual product, the team plans to create a better hydrogel that can absorb more water from the air. Making sure everyone on Earth has access to clean water and affordable clean energy is part of the sustainable development goals set by the United Nations, Wang says. 
help our design can be a decentralized power and water system to light homes and water crops. The proof of concept design was described in the March 1st peer-reviewed journal of Cell Reports Physical Science. That's it for this one. This next article is about comical bat thought to be extinct is found again after 40 years in dense rainforest. Of more than 1,300 bat species on our planet, this might be the most comical looking. So says the chief scientist at Bat Conservation International when describing the hill's horseshoe bat, thought to be extinct for 40 years. It's astonishing to think that we're the first people to see this bat in so long, said Dr. John Flanders, director of the organization, in a statement last week. Flanders joined the multinational team of experts on the, an expedition to survey a dense cloud forest in Rwanda, where they were delayed to find the lost species. The rediscovery marked survey efforts that began in 2013. The t- team's dedication paid off during a 10-day-and-night oh, hike into Nyagwin National Park. We knew immediately that the bat we had captured was unusual and remarkable, said Dr. Winfred Frick, BCI's... What does it say? BCI's... I can't read right now. What is happening? Like an ad pops up and pushed all the text out of the way. BCI's chief scientist, the facial features were exaggerated to the point of comical. Horseshoe bats are easily distinguishable from other bats by characteristic horseshoe shape and specialized skin flaps on their noses. Careful measurements of the bat before they released it back into the wild were an early tip off that this could be the lost species they came to find. Dr. Flanders then traveled to visit museum archives in Europe to compare the only known specimens to verify that what they had captured in the African forest was, in fact, the first evidence in 40 years that Hill's horseshoe bat still exists. Catching this elusive species also allowed the team to collect additional information to ensure it is easier to find in the future, including recording the first ever echolocation calls that Hill's horseshoe bat emits as it hunts for insects. Knowing the echolocation calls for this species is a game changer, said Dr. Paul, Paul Webbala, senior lecturer at Masai Mara University and one of the team's lead scientists. The pair of Hills horseshoe bats were found back in 2019, but scientists are just divulging the details now, having confirmed the species. In the meantime, the Yangwe Park Rangers have been setting out detectors that eavesdrop on the bats during their nightly flights through the forest. The rangers conducted audio surveys with the wildlife acoustics bat detectors in 23 locations over nine months, resulting in recording a quarter million sound files. Analysis of the sound files revealed Hills horseshoe bats were heard at eight locations, all within a small area. All the work so far confirms that this is a very rare species with a very small core range, said Dr. Frick. BCI has published records of the rediscovery in the first data sheet shared openly on the global biodiversity information facility now our real work begins to figure out how to protect the species long into the future says flanders who will be collaborating with park management the government and rwanda wildlife conservation association which joined the expedition to strengthen existing conservation effort i thought this next article was kind of silly and interesting so Volkswagen gets a lot of buzz premiering their new electric throwback bus, the ID bus. So this is like primarily a picture one, but um, I'm going to read 
the words that are here and maybe describe texture. So it basically just looks like one of their old like Volkswagen vans, but it's electric. Volkswagen un unveiled their new ID Buzz in Hamburg, calling it Europe's first all-electric bus. From its iconic roots in the 1950s, the latest CO2-friendly version is affectionately known as Bully, resurrecting a popular German nickname for the 2011 Volkswagen bus. It's the proportions that make the ID bus so unique, says Volkswagen chief designer Josef Kaban. He made a direct link back to the original classic vehicle. In the T1, you are practically sitting on top of the front axle. There's no front overhang. Even after the safety and technology features are loaded up front, the ID Buzz has super short overhangs, says Caban. Another feature that has always been typical of the model line is its V-shaped front panels. Sans the charismatic round headlights of old, though. Five people have ample room for traveling and for their luggage, like any van. The second row of seats can be folded down, doubling the storage capacity. Carbon neutral in production and shipping. In the 1950s, the Volkswagen Bully stood for a new f feeling of automotive, automotive freedom, independence, and great emotion, said Ralph Brandstatter, chairman of the board of management. The ID Buzz picks up on this lifestyle and transfers it into our time, emission-free, sustainable, fully networked, and adaptable for future autonomous driving. The model line is being produced at Volkswagen's main plant in Hanover, Germany. The majority of the electric drive systems modules will also be made in Germany to the highest quality standards, according to the media release, and the vehicles will exit the production line as zero emission vehicles. The company says the vehicle's manufacture and shipping has a carbon neutral footprint, and the entire interior uses recycled synthetic materials, free of leather. Available across Europe this fall, with orders starting in May, the buzz will come with a 77 kilowatt lithium ion battery, gross energy content 82 kilowatts, that provides current to a 150 kilowatt, sorry, yeah, I don't know what all these variations are, 150 kilowatt um, electric motor which drives the rear axle. Plug and charge technology enables, enables the ID Buzz to be easily charged while out and about with up to 170 kilowatts. Bi-directional charging enables the ID Buzz to feed unneeded energy from the battery into consumers' home power network, vehicle to home. The position of the battery integrated deep down in the, in the sandwich floor and the lightweight electronic, electric drive system result in a good distribution of weight and a low vehicle center of gravity. Both factors optimize the handling and agility, said the release. They say it also has an unusually small turning circle of 11.1 meters. Expect a starting price of around $40,000. The line also offers a larger cargo van with double the storage space called the ID Buzz Cargo. That's it for this one. This is a, another sustainability article. So this one is about using the sun to fight food waste and stretch yields. Farming households in rural India are earning extra money for their food that goes unsold by putting it through solar food dehydrators. In a country where intense heat can spoil food within days of harvesting, it can also keep it safe for months. Tens of thousands of, food, of tons of food in India go to waste every year, often because it doesn't look appealing enough, or because there's no access to refrigeration to keep it fresh. Normally, this would be simply thrown away, comporting a loss for those who often can't afford it. But now women in Maharashtra, in the west of India are being hired to operate 
specially designed solar conduction dryers that suck every detectable trace of moisture out of food within just four hours. Excess produce like tomatoes, garlic, onions, ginger, coconut, chilies, and corn are then turned into easy-to-use products and sold to 1.100-plus food and beverage industry consumers of the solar dryer's creator, S4S, or Science for Society. S4S's solar conduction dryers also preserve 20-50% to more nutrients than other methods, while reducing emissions, emissions from refrigeration and food waste. They claim they've prevented 350,000 metric tons of CO2 from entering the atmosphere, and 40,000 tons of food waste the use of these, through the use of these dryers, which have employed 800 women across the state, many of whom, as the BBC reports, would have a difficult time finding regular work. It's also creating a real raise in the average wages in these rural households, as much as 110% from previous methods, but unlike government support, it hasn't relied on raising tax money. And that is it for this one. And this last one sounded a little mysterious and spooky, so I want to make sure to read it. Most important prehistoric discovery in a century revealed by British Museum. The British Museum has announced the discovery of the most important piece of prehistoric art to be found in Britain in the last 100 years. The object is a 5,000-year-old chalk sculpture that was discovered on a country estate near the village of Burton Agnes in East Yorkshire. The sculpture was first unearthed in a routine excavation by Allen Archaeology in 2015 and has since been studied extensively and conserved. Its existence is now confirmed to be one of the most significant ancient objects ever found on the British Isles. This remarkable discovery is now on public display for the very first time as part of the British Museum's The World of Stonehenge exhibition open until July 2022. The sculpture is decorated with elaborate motifs that reaffirms a British and Irish artistic style that flourished at exactly the same time as Stonehenge was built. It was uncovered alongside the burial of three children. The children are different ages and were buried in close contact in a moving scene. The two youngest were placed in the grave, touching or holding hands. The eldest child was laid in the grave, holding the two younger children. The sculpture was found just above the head of the eldest child, and it includes three hastily added holes, perhaps marking the presence of the three bodies in the grave. Described as a chalk drum, it is only the fourth example of its kind known to have survived. Despite the use of the term drum, they are not thought to have had a musical function. Rather, they are works of sculptural art, perhaps intended as talisman to protect the children they accompanied. A radiocarbon date from one of the child's bones in Burton Agnes identifies the burial as from 3,500 to 200. To, sorry, to 2,890 BC. It also confirms for the first time that these burial drums were made at the same time as the first construction phase of Stonehenge. This is significant because it suggests that at the same time as the monument's blue stones were being moved hundreds of kilometers from West Wales to Salisbury Plain, communities across Britain and hundreds of kilometers from West... Wait, sorry. Communities across Britain and Ireland were also sharing artistic styles and probably beliefs over remarkable distances. The drum was accompanied by a chalk ball and polished bone pin which lay beneath the head of one of the children. The chalk ball is a type of object that has also recently been found by archaeologists at the site of Bulford, close to Stonehenge. Its symbolism is unclear. It could be a fertility symbol or even a toy held dear by a child. 
The bone pin is similar to objects placed with burials inside Stonehenge at around the same time period as the Burton Agnes drum was buried. The Burton Agnes drum is also one of the most elaborately decorated objects of this period found anywhere in Britain and Ireland. Every inch of the object is decorated with small motifs that are found on a range of prehistoric objects, including pottery and stone balls, and architectural surfaces some incorporated within houses and tombs. This was the artistic style of the people who built Stonehenge and related monuments across Britain and Ireland. It helps illustrate the joined-up nature of society during this period and the vibrant artistic culture of the time. The motifs themselves are abstract but may convey symbolism or religious principles that have yet to be deciphered. The discovery of Burton Agnes' grave is highly moving, said Neil Wilkin, curator of the world of Stonehenge at the British Museum. The emotions of the new drum expresses... Ex the emotions of the new drum expresses are powerful and timeless. They transcend the time of Stonehenge and reflect a moment of tragedy and despair that remains undimmed after 5,000 years. We're all stunned to see it up close when it came off site, said Mark Allen, director of Allen Archaeology. The detailed relief carving on the drum is quite something to behold and shows great skill by its maker. Research is ongoing on the drum, the burials, and the surrounding excavations, and we look forward to publishing more on this in the future.